Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the final detour to Tokyo of Miami Nice, Tokyo Nice. I am one half of your intrepid journalist who might smoke crack in a den <laughs> with a weird fan of Yakuza just to get more information. Delirious as we are, I am Blake are Howard we... and this is Katie Walsh. We are, are just... we insane or dedicated? <laughs> Insane. For this episode, we have decided to smoke meth. <laughs> just get on the meth pipe, whatever the, whatever we need to do, but we need to finish this mini-series yes. so we can get back to Miami. <laughs> so uh, the meth is flowing, and this episode hopefully will be just as unhinged as every other episode so far. Katie, so good to talk to you. We're coming back yeah. from, we're coming on, off of a high, a black hat high, a Chris, a Hemsworth uh, high. That was so fun. Cannot wait for whatever our next live stream event will be. But if we do another live stream, which we will do, you guys have to join. It is like the most, oh my God. It's the most fun someone can have online, I think. Uh, jumping in the chat with the crew and doing hilarious drinking games that <laughs> hopefully everyone woke up okay the next day. <laughs> people didn't, I'm sure. I'm sure people didn't. There's a moment in this episode in Tokyo Vice where Jake is like battered and bruised and like showering and just like his whole world is basically ended. And I feel like that's what you're going to wake up like after a, after a Miami Nice live screening. No, truly yeah. amazing. We had our Black Hat Hacker Cut screening. Um, if you guys want to stay in touch and really actually help us steer what we're doing, there is a one eight minute um, productions discord, which if you're a patron, you'll get access to. Um, and, uh, and like, we have an amazing crew there. It's like our live chat just lives and breathes there. So many of our key crew members are all involved. You'll, you'll see the Travis Woodses, you'll see Katie, you'll see Stu and Garth have just popped in there as well, as well as people like Andreas, who's just like creating heat gifts just for fun. <laughs> um, and, and just, uh, it's, it's, it's a truly like, um, CK, our intrepid uh, investigator. Oh my in God. Our last CK episode. has so much counter Intel. It's. Wild. It's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, we have a lot of fun in the Discord. Uh, if you and I mean, become a patron. It's like so worth it. Also, there's a dog drinking water next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's the, listen. These are the sounds that we bring you. This is the ambient noise of Tokyo. It's an immersive right? soundscape. It's, it's an immersive cinematic <laughs> soundscape. Um, so here we are. We are. At the end of the Tokyo Vice series, which I think we've kind of gotten to the point where we can kind of like reflect on the quality of the actual series. We've been talking about yeah. episode to episode we've, and in multiple episodes, we've talked about like what our favorite episode of the series is, like whether it's been worth it or not. I, I think a little bit, but let's maybe start off. The episode is episode eight. It's an eight episode series. What we can say now fantastically and so excitingly is that they are going to pursue uh, a second series um, to continue this story um but the final episode directed by alan Poole and written by jt rogers who also wrote the test and is the showrunner is called yoshino and so we get here to the end of this series and i think this is a terrific series top to bottom this end episode is so bleak and doesn't end with any kind of rah-rah that i was like i loved how dedicated it was to telling its story in its way and uh so yeah i, I was that was that how you found it going back, Katie? Because I know we've watched this now a couple of times each, both of us. But um, was that how you found it? Were you satisfied by the end of the series? I mean, it's it's hard to be satisfied because we don't end up back in that framing device where we started, which is, yes. um, you know, uh, Jake and Katagiri going into the club and basically Tozawa's guys being like, "Don't write about our boss," um, and. You know, we don't quite get exactly back there, but we're getting we're we're closing the loop. Yes. And it is interesting to talk about like the different directors and what the different directors have brought. And I think that's what's been really fun and interesting about this series is being like, okay, Michael Mann has set up this series. He's given us this extremely Michael Mann-esque pilot where it's fun to see him directing again and seeing what he's doing with these characters and bringing his own O'Tourist imprint to this story. Um, and, and how he approaches what we're doing. Um, and then, I mean, I thought this Alan Poole episode was really great. It, there was a really, like, there was a bleakness, but there was also, like, a chaotic 
violence to this episode yeah. in a way like you know we saw the hikari episode where there was like a huge bloodbath and it's kind of almost graceful and intimate and then here it's just like pure crazy <laughs> chaos <laughs> in so chaotic. many ways like there's the chaos of you know this horrible of the meth uh event of jake and sam smoking meth and that's a chaotic scene there's a chaotic scene where jake gets a beat down there's um a chaotic scene of our young guy trying to cut his finger off i mean everything is just kind of like all over the place and it's spiraling out of control and it seems like at the end the only person who's in control is our villain tozawa as Katagiri's lost control, Miyamoto's lost control, and everything is a mess. So it was interesting to see, you know, a, a completely new director um, kind of come into this world and 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 tackle this material. Yeah, an hour of, <laughs> and they pitched to Adam Poole. Hey man, we've just got you this job where we're gonna unleash hell on basically every character, and we want you to be really in our face with it like just be right. unrelenting there's an uh, this is an unrelenting 60 odd minutes of show and, yeah um yeah i think he does a terrific job aired originally on the 28th of april no big news yet about um exactly when the the next series is in production but really exciting that it's going back and clearly the investment the juice for H hbo is worth the squeeze so excited to see them, them go back to japan and go back to tokyo and start this again hoping that michael mann um, can now squeeze in an episode that would be amazing. He's obviously still involved in the series, and when you're an executive producer, a couple of times in recent interviews, you know, with people asking him about Miami Vice, the original TV series, he's like, "Look, when you're an executive producer of a TV show, you're kind of an executive director. You know, you're involved in casting, and you're involved in scouting locations, and you're involved in the overall themes. And so, like, you know, he talked about his like curatorial imprint on that show, like taking the reins and going, we want this actor, and we want this." You know, we want this location and we want this thing to happen. So the fact that he's around and at least helped to kind of corral um, the vision for the show, it was so awesome. But I mean, this is this is an insane episode. Um, I think is probably uh, the best the best way that we can sort of start it. So like, where do you want to start? The end of the last episode, we we basically have Sam come to Jake's place after a fallout with Sato um, after she's like, I need you to sort of fix the situation with Paulina. And Sato has to make the call. And we discussed it in the previous episode that I can't fix the Yakuza for you. <laughs> Basically, right. so he I can't, can't fix I can't, Tozawa. I can't fix Tozawa. I can't just make this guy go away. Like clearly there's a lot of people where this, you know, this entire situation has kind of gone crazy. And so Sam and Jake have gotten back together um, so we see the fallout of that episode and then we also see because we ended on somewhat of a cliffhanger in the last episode as well with Miyamoto trying to get more information for Tozawa because he'd been baited by Katagiri and Katagiri like wakes up and he's just beaming like he's having like the best breakfast with his family yes. he's just so chuffed because he's like and, and his wife goes did you catch a big fish and I love his turn of phrase he's like I didn't catch him but he's on the line I'm just mm -hmm. gonna decide how I'm gonna reel him in. And so it's a really great start to the episode because you're like, oh my God, okay, something is going to happen in this episode. What are we going to see? How far down the rabbit hole are we actually going to go? Yeah, I think what's interesting in this episode, I mean, you could sort of say like, there's all these pairings and like, it, it's it's Sam and Jake and they're like, we're going to find Paulina and we're going to do whatever we can. They're desperate. They're smoking meth. They're giving all their money away. They're doing all of this stuff. And then there's Katagiri and Miyamoto. And they're like, how do we play this situation with Tozawa? How can we, you know, at first it's like a sort of uneasy, you know, is Katagiri gonna like fire Miyamoto or is he gonna, what's he gonna expose do? Him, yeah. Expose him. And then, you know, okay, we're gonna work together. And then there's also sort of like this interesting pairing between Sato and, um, that kid's name i can't remember his name but um the the kid who's under him who uh you know he's kind of realizing that you know this this kid keeps fucking up and he's getting all this abuse and he's like i'm gonna let him go yes and and so it, but it's like in a way it's it's his own um, and I know I'm kind of jumping around in the episode, but I just think there's like all these interesting pairings going on. So we do get Katagiri and, and Miyamoto paired up for 
um, their journey. But the Jake and Sam have like the most chaotic journey yeah, of all. This is insane. They, they like it's after Sam has been pushing Jake out and Jake has distanced himself from Sato because he feels insulted and feels used um, uh, by everything that's going on um, with Sato and, 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 and everything that happened that distanced him from Katagiri. And in this episode, it's like, We've had some introductions to some of these people. We've had the introduction to the weird, sycophantic, you know, Yakuza super fan who's an absolute hot mess, who's like, I'm writing a book too, and like, and all this sort of stuff. And then it's like, what are we actually going to do with this information? And this is where the whole episode just goes completely unhinged. So you then have Sam and Jake decide that they're going to do it. You see, um, you, you really see also, um, and he's absolutely um terrific is in the Ashida clan um Shun Sugata like his scene of like they're trying to re-establish themselves they're trying to be strong they're trying to earn their money back they're trying to cr create a competition for um uh, uh they're trying to create a competition for the Tozawa clan but just the scallions in his soup is enough to piss him off you know like the scat like I feel like it's like they're back at that level they feel like they're at their height where they can nickel and dime these little like these little things like yeah you should only need to be told once and so sato's journey while the other pairings are kind of these chaotic how are we going to take this down sato's pairing is this real interior one which i love yeah in the episode, which is what would i what would i do if i could save myself right exactly yeah and he can't he can't he can't save himself so he it's like this what's the word like he's almost projecting onto this kid or like you do like i'm gonna save you because i can't save myself yeah it's like it's like the parent who's vicarious the vicarious to, yeah 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 child it's it's um and that's what's devastating because it's like he's still such a baby himself so i know so everything that he's doing he's just everything he's doing is wrong like on every right. level and it's like interesting because the scallions in the soup are sort of like the the green M and M's of Van Halen Rider. <laughs> like if you can't cut the scallions right, like how am I going to trust you to do anything else right? So, but I also felt like that moment where Ishida, you know, he, you know, Sato's coming in. He's saying we've got to do these things to innovate. We've got to beat Tozawa, and then Ishida fixates on the scallion thing, and it's like he knows he's losing control. So like how he's reverting back to this abusive hierarchical he's like i know what i can do is like go fuck this kid up and i can't beat tozawa at selling mm, meth in tokyo a, but like i ha i can exert my control in this like little aquarium that i live in you know so it's almost like he feels impotent and so he has to like go exert his abusive power elsewhere um but he's almost like it's, it's almost like like I was kind of thinking like, maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Like he's not innovating. He just wants to do, you know, the way things have always been. But you, then you have this complete wild card in Tozawa, who's just like, I'm coming in, I'm shaking things up, I'm disrupting the industry and he can't keep up with him. And Tozawa has no moral code. No, and the thing with Tozawa as well, that we kind of have to mention from the previous episode, if you if you can't remember, but Tazawa's like dying. Yeah, he's and the fact that he's like almost resurrected in this episode. Yeah, makes him act even more extremely. Like he's just like, I'm gonna take this further than you could ever possibly imagine. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm going to restart this thing. I'm going to get out of town for a little while. I'm going to cut off my loose ends. I'm going to, you know, he, he's like, I'm going to galvanize myself. I'm going to get back to the West. I'm going to stay out of Tokyo for a little bit. But it's like when he starts cutting off his loose ends, like it's with reckless abandon. He's just like, I'm doing it. It's, it's happening. It's done. Like I'm, I'm going to get out of the spotlight for a little bit. But the fact that he's resurrected, I feel so great because it's just like, like you said, he's got no moral compass. He's got no moral code. Like you, there's an unpredictability. You just don't know what he's going to do. And I think that it plays into that great, the great acting. It plays into the character. Um, and it's so fantastic. I do have to mention one thing. We've been talking about the soundtracks and the needle drops in this show. And I know that we have a, uh, a we've mentioned her in the last episode, Maria Lewis, great friend of everything that we do, friend of both of ours. She wanted me to mention something 
because she was like, I am so, she goes, I love this show. It's like a journalism mm -hmm. show. She's like, it's yeah. really good. I was completely impressed by how great it was. Um, but she did have to say one thing, which I, I have to go and I have to go and find the actual, um, the actual drop. She's like, listen, in all this stuff, everyone is so like, is so hyper fixated on like the specifics of like, we're going to drop, um, we're going to drop a song at this moment. We're going to do this particular needle drop. And she's like, but Blake, there's something really wrong. This show is set in the nineties. Okay. And she's like, and what, what I'm, um, what I'm devastated with in your like Michael Mann universe is that Kelly Rowland's motivation, which was released in 2011 is the only out of sequence like needle drop anachronistic yeah. anachronistic needle drop that happens in the entire series. And she's like, it's so weird that someone was like, we are going to go to a 90s star like Kelly Rowland, but we're going to select a song from her that was done like decades after this. But I think we talked, did we talk about this a little bit? Like we did, we did, but I just, it was like, just the one the, song in the, the vibe, whole series It's now. the mood. <laughs> yeah. It is funny that they're like going for like, that that's the only one that they it's do. It's the only one. Um, and it would be, I mean, music supervisor, get at us. Fail <laughs> <laughs> at one heat minute, but that would be interesting to ask about, but you know, maybe they're okay. Maybe there's like, I don't know. I'd have to look more into like this song in the specifics, but maybe it was like the one thing that they could license. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the one, the one song she's allowing. <laughs> the one thing they're, catalog. they're right. They're, um, they're like, we need something that sounds like this, but we're just gonna, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I can't speculate too much. Um, but that is funny that Maria, that Maria brought that up and you know, she <laughs> and is all, a, a, she's a reporter, so she's going to fact check. So, and, and for all those deep cut Kelly Rowland fans out there, it must feel super offensive to you that a 2011 <laughs> Kelly Rowland song, it pops up in the nineties, but you know what? That's her vibe. Kelly's getting paid. She's Kelly's getting, paid. getting HBO money. And that's her vibe. <laughs> so that's good. That's, that's all we can be happy about. Um, I did want to also mention, um, something about Tozawa and the story. And, but I, I, I want to jump out of the show. Is that, is that okay? Can we jump yeah, out of the that. show please, and please. into the real world? So, yes. I mean, I don't know if you read much about like Jake Adelstein, the real Jake Adelstein, but he, what's happening with Tozawa and like, maybe I'm over explaining things, but he got threatened by a, uh, Yakuza crime boss when he wrote an article detailing about, um, this liver transplant. He, he flew to LA and got a liver transplant and he made a deal with an FBI to like get extradited, to go to LA and get a liver transplant. So that's like what we're seeing at the end. Yes. Um, is this man getting on a plane and leaving. And at one point he gets a phone call where he goes, that's excellent news. And I'm like, Oh, that's him getting the news that he can get the liver transplant. Um, so that's like what happened in Jake Adelstein, the real person's life. Um, so, you know, he's obviously dealing with his health issues and getting all these shots and, and then the doctor's like no drinking and he's drinking whiskey on the plane <laughs> and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that that's sort of like where we're going, but they haven't quite taken us there yet. Yeah. And, and it's also like, um, that noir framing device in TV, you know, where bouncing back and forth and like in big kind of. Um, big commercial like network television in recent years, the best that's been done is kind of, I mean, it's not really, it's hard to say. Someone, some people say that like Better Call Saul is the most gigantic noir film, <laughs> film slash television show that's ever been made. That's like six seasons. So we're not talking about something like that, but something like Damages, which starred Ozzy Rose Byrne and uh, the great Glenn Close had this device and it had this framing device, which great show. If you haven't seen it, it's terrific, especially the first season. It's just kind of outstanding. Great episode, uh, great great example exemplar of like network tv what network and tv uh, can do when they kind of give them a little bit of independent spirit um but i love that i also love the goal and i know this is such a weird tangent to draw but it's like you know how like danny Villeneuve makes dune and it's clearly part one like it's clearly not the whole thing 
I kind of love the balls of HBO to be like, we are literally making a part one. And if you never make it again, it's got some dissatisfaction. It's got some bleakness. It's got this, but it's like, we feel so positive about the quality of what we're actually producing that we feel like if we just chuck it out there for you, you are going to want to consume it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to like where we're going with it. And at the end of the day, you're going to go, okay, well now I have to, uh, like I, I almost have to demand that I need to see this story through. And so, and I also love exactly what you're talking about. Thank you for that context. If you haven't, it's really super cheap. If you've got a Kindle, you can just go buy it. It's like 14 bucks or something like that. The actual Tokyo Vice book, which is a banger of a read, you know, especially in companion with the film. Uh, sorry, especially in companion with the, sh- the series. If you want to check it out, I would strongly recommend it. But I also love that they're kind of a bit cagey about what that stuff is because they're kind of ballsy. They're like, we, they want us to experience Jake finding out why he went away, finding out what he did. Maybe there's an you know a transcontinental kind of like collaboration of getting a story from like an insider in, in the states and utilizing his American currency as a as a journalist to like get a story and then come back and start writing about him in conjunction with all the stuff that we're sort of seeing laid the platform for in, with Paulina and um, and all those sorts of things and and the other interconnections of this whole Tozawa. Um, some of his other services that aren't just selling meth, which is like high-end prostitutes on boats and uh, and doing all these other things. So I think it's like the, the way that he's starting to build the full scale of the Tozawa thing, but also us just getting teased for the next series is kind of pretty cool. Yeah, and apologies if anyone did not want to know this, but it is out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, the book uh, it's exists, It's the liver guys. transplant. The book exists. Um, and, you know, I actually haven't read the book, but I mean, I'll maybe in between seasons I'll check it out. But... Um, you know, the other thing is like the Paulina story. I know I've mentioned this before. The Paulina story is reminding me a lot of the the true crime book, The People Who Eat Darkness, which is about um, a real uh, British uh, um, woman who was killed, uh, you know, in a sort of by a client. And, and I don't know. So the, the, even just that that video of her that we see at the very end, oh my it, God. It, it felt very. First of all, I was like, I, this feels like I'm watching The Ring. And like even the way <laughs> yeah. Jake is reacting to it. Um, you know, the thing it's, you see that you cannot unsee in this episode, it's brutal. Yeah. And so, um, but it is, you know, it's interesting how I, I do think that the, the show is drawing together a lot of different, um, obviously it's Jake's experiences. I don't know if he ever wrote about that, um, case, but, um, you know, uh, drawing together a lot of different kinds of crime things that have happened in this world. So, yeah. And we, all these all these things are happening at once. Jake and Sam go to this meth uh, to this meth addled super fans place trying to get more intel. Um Katagiri and Miyamoto are like figuring out like how and Miyamoto kind of has a bit of a redemptive arc himself. He's like, How do I be a part of this? How do yeah. I rather than me being painted as like this, you know, this stooge that's inside the police department that's just being paid by Tozawa, how do I actually flip this on its head and help you reel him in and help and help now playing the counter intel role now that I've been discovered, how can I be flipped and play a double agent? And so you're watching how like he's trying to get these things through, how everything's happening, and you start to sort of see that finally Katagiri and Tazawa are on a bit of a collision course and it sort mm-hmm. of takes about halfway through the episode and Miyamoto sort of setting things up and trying to do things and we love Miyamoto because he's like our shit bag of this show right like he's tip top he's a Katie Walsh um VIP he's like yes. he's like he's, he's like um I think you said with Tom Cruise legends only that he works with <laughs> and the Katie Walsh VIPs are shit bags only in the VIPs <gasps> And, and I mean, they- <laughs> we have to. <laughs> I mean, if anyone has seen the bear, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Richie, the dirtbag. Anyway, but uh, that's uh, a side and, note. And Katie's had some uh, virality happen in the last few I weeks. <laughs> For my thirst tweets about dirtbags, um, and it's uh, so yeah, on brand. It makes me so yeah. happy. Um, <laughs> it's so. Let's just brand. let's just call his made his bane. Like that's just the truth. But. Um, yeah, but no, and and you know what? Miyamoto is the Sonny Crockett of the yeah, show. I have sometimes. to say he's the Sonny Crockett of the show. Um, 
But I love when he that he is like he still wants to be a good cop. He is so corruptible and so corrupt and he takes bribes from everyone, but he does it because he thinks he's being a good cop. And he's yes. like he's like I'm a good cop who made bad fucking choices and now he wants to, you know, make up for that. But it is interesting how he still is like really committed to this idea of doing good police work. And he gets in too deep. He gets in too deep with with the guys, but um, you know it's like there. It's it is interesting because I do think everybody in this show has a moral code except for Tozawa. Yes, and he is like a shark. He is like, I, not that sharks don't have moral code, <laughs> but he's like an apex. Not predator. to offend the not to offend the shark community <laughs> who's listening. Do sharks have moral code? And if the shark community hasn't subscribed, one eight minute productions for all of our lovely shows. <laughs> Become a patron. <laughs> Do um, sharks have empathy? <laughs> I'm googling it. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're like, no, stop it. No, no. I, I, I was just gonna say. Also, it's Ayumi Ito, is um absolutely fantastic in this show. And if you don't know that, she's Mizaki. She, she's Tazawa's mistress. Mm, she's and so good. Yeah. She gets she gets released because, you know, he has that brief split second moment of her even contemplating a life without him and he feels so deeply betrayed and insulted that he discards her like you would discard you know a, t a piece of tissue paper that you just used and so then she gets cast away but then she gets brought back into the fold and you think oh okay well is is was that just a fleeting moment was that is, is he going to is something going to change and, and i think that to your point about his morality the next piece is like all right now i've used you again to come back and give me comfort and do what I need to do. Now you can go again. Like he just like, he brings her back and then he just casts her out again. And it's, there's this great relationship because of the complexities of the relationship. And she's just always on a knife's edge. Those scenes are like, she knows that she can die. She knows that he at the at a moment's notice could snap his fingers and she'd be dead. And I just, there is such a phenomenal amount of tension and you know, there's an elevated state that this show can get into in those moments. And I just, I, I'm, I, it's, it's one of the peaks of the show for me overall. If you said, what is one of the highlights? It's, it's the Aumi Ito as Mizaki and Tozawa scenes, because she starts out as this, you know, this accessory to his life and things like that. And we get to dive into her character and her motivations. And then also the consequences, like everything comes back to bite you in the ass in this show, which I love, right? Like every decision you make is going to eat you alive. It's, it's like this yeah. cannibalistic thing. And it's like, I made this decision and now it's going to kill me. And I love that the, the show's like unrelenting like that and the realism of that. And it feels, yeah. you know, um, you know, th there's a great Irish director, Jim Sheridan, who, you know, who's made a stack of great films, you know, the, the boxer in the name of the father, my left foot. <clears throat> and, um, he used to base a lot of his stuff on real life. And he used to say, sometimes when you try and create artifice on things, you can feel the tension between the reality of the story you're telling and the artifice that you're trying to put over it. And he's like, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it works. And I love here in the show that it feels anchored in a real reality of like, in a lot of movies, people make a decision and it's okay. And people get away with shit. And I love that in Michael Mann movies, particularly as, a, as, a, as an executive producer on the show and as a pilot, the person who's kind of leading off, that everyone who makes a decision has to feel the weight of that decision. I feel like it, too few shows are as true to that true north of that philosophy that this show is. And it makes it fascinating and engaging and dramatic. The dramatic conflict is always in every episode because you're like, shit, every decision they make, there will be consequences. And, you know, that's that's something I've, I'm, I've loved about doing this show and, and unpacking it with you. I do have a question for you, though. There's a scene where um, Tozawa's getting a, an injection, and I just want to say, how many shots have there been of this man butt naked, hunched over a sink? Um, I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, he's back again. Katie, Katie Walsh, my co-host, is just, she just brings a highlight reel to this show. I'm sorry. I'm so stupid. But No, it's like it's um, like it's like you wonder if his ass hunched over a sink is his rider in this show. You know, like I know, I know. Guys, if you want me to put on all these freaking tattoos, I'm gonna be hunched yeah. over a sink with my ass. I know. Out. The makeup artist is like, listen, I did that. You know so you're gonna show it. it. Draw that guy's exactly. ass tats. Get him out there. Exactly. Film the tats. <laughs> um so Anyway, he, he she's brought in, 
He accuses her of sleeping with Jake. She sort of expertly flips the the situation. I, I mean, I love those scenes where she does that because it's it's really deft, her sort of evasion and manipulation tactics. And then um, he's like, you must really love me, prove it to me. And he sort of like exposes himself. And then she's like, oh no, I can't. Your doctor doesn't want you exerting yourself. And, and then he kicks her out. And then there's this older woman in a kimono in the in the waiting room and they make eye contact and then Mazak she leaves. Who is that woman? Is that his wife? I don't know if it's his wife. I think it's like I get the sense, I know this might sound super weird and it starts to go all off the reservation. And look, if you know what this is, please reach out mail at one hit minute.com. If you know who the character is, or maybe you've read the book and you've got a better insight as to who Tazawa, like the real Tazawa surrounded himself with, but it just feels like there's another great character in a fantastic Aussie movie um, that, that she reminds me of. It's called Goldstone where she's like a madam for a bunch of young Asian girls who are being trafficked. And, mm. and so like, she's got this really weird thing where she's like, you know, if you follow the line here, you'll survive, you'll make your money, you'll get out. And the the, the young character that this, uh, so uh, Pei, um, Chang Pei Pei plays Mrs. Lau. So she's like, kind of like the madam, the, the kind of wrangler of these young girls who are being trafficked. And uh, Michelle Lim Davidson plays May, who's this girl who's being trafficked in Goldstone. And that's what this lady reminds me of. It's like this weird thing where she's gotten into this like Stockholm syndrome relationship where she's got this caring maternal almost instinct for Tazawa. And he's this like, he's an absolute shark. So I've always thought her as like a motherly figure that has this weird skewed morality of herself, which is like, how do I care for my sort of son, if you like, which is Tazawa. And it's to keep his mistresses in line. And so I don't oh, actually know. She's like a mother figure. A mother figure is how I've always interpreted her because she then has, that's what makes her so weird is like, is she like an old school mistress of, you know, maybe someone who's been in the lineage of this clan. So she keeps them um, done. And like Iceberg Slim, the famous Iceberg Slim book Pimp calls this woman and you know apologies for the offense but that's the bottom bitch that's your like top hole oh, and, she's oh. like, and she's retired to keep the others in line and so that's how oh. I've, i'm like there's a weird maternal inflection to that kind of character and i'm like i don't know if she's like a madam i don't know if she was like a once the best girl in the stable and she's kind of aged out I do, and i don't know how she's connected to the clan but i love that conflict of and this is what's so great about you know, just our little slice of like insight into Japanese culture is like in this, in this closed off, um, microcosm of that Yakuza family, it's like order hierarchy is so important structure and even mistress structure and that geisha structure is all, that's the conflict of like, you, you're, you have to toe the line to make sure that you're safe, make sure that you're paid, make sure you've got protection. But some of it requires, you know, manipulation and basically squashing people's emotions and getting them to just be some like getting them to just do things they absolutely don't want to do. Yeah. And I, you know, when you see her, she's wearing like a very traditional um, kimono. And so I Can initially we just say, thought kimonos, hottest piece of clothing ever. <laughs> I do. Ever. I wish I could wear one. I um, wish we could wear one. I think we need to show one. We yes. need to show Miami Vice kimonos Just in our merch store. <laughs> with our faces on the back. <laughs> um, no, but so she's wearing a kimono and I was like, initially, my initial reaction was, oh, she's a geisha. And so, but that would make sense if she was kind of a madam, like maybe she comes from this mm. traditional geisha background. I mean, obviously she's not wearing like the red, the the white face paint that mm. is traditional for geisha, but um, you know, maybe she is kind of like, you know, comes from that background and, and is, you know, working as a madam or some kind of older sex worker, you know, kind of situation. But um, it's kind of interesting to contrast like that old school um, geisha model with like the the model that we're working with now, which is like the mistresses and the hostesses and the hostess clubs and like the different ways that sex work can take shape. Yes. And even, you know, Paulina on the on Yoshino, which we haven't really talked about what Yoshino is. It's a boat. It's a boat. 
It's like the it's like it's like it's like inherent vice and the golden fang. It's a boat. It's a boat. It's Yoshino is a boat. And so here we come up to these, I would say, the kind of the three epic climactic moments of the show. First is that Sam goes to those bunch of shitbag uh no, um, they go to her. Oh, well, they Doesn't go. To, Akira, Akira, Akira goes, goes to, to her. her. Yeah, Akira, like it's she's she's in dialogue with them. She finds out that they may have more information about Polina. They say we know where she is, and Sam uses her entire life savings that is going to fund her own club to. She empties out the kitty and Chekhov's cash. Like yeah, I said, yes. I didn't know that this would be <laughs> how it would end for Sam's stash, but. It is indeed. It is. Um, so she tries to bargain with these these working boys and they manipulate her and they take the money and and she is none the wiser about what has happened to Paulina in that moment. What kills me in that scene is like, I you see Sam's desperation because she's making all these like out of pocket decisions. Like Akira runs up to her. He's like, oh no, they called me. They said they need 10 million yen. What am I gonna do? And then she's like, okay, I'm gonna go get the money. She comes back, she meets him. She's like, show me that you have her. Like, give me her and then I'll give you the money. And these guys are such fuck boys. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> uh, no. And then she's like, proof of life, like, ask her this, ask her that. And they're just like, no. And then how did they get the money? They literally just throw her on the ground and grab it and snatch it. It's a snatch and grab job. And she's like smart. She realizes they don't have Paulina. So then they're just like, you know, uh, they they just grab it and go. They're such little shitbags. We hate them. And it's also another thing of Sam of like, and I love this, like fish out of water, the cultural clash that's happening it's like you're a woman in a foreign mm. country holding a bag of cash it's like all the things they tell you on every travel advisory not to do she's and gotten too comfortable she's so comfortable in this situation where she's had these protections she's had these things and especially sato's relationship you know of like you know killing off this threat to her to the revealing of her identity or her own extradition back to the united states and all this stuff it, it's all, she's way too comfortable and she just does it. And it's this devastating thing. And can I tell you, um, and this is like a bit of inside baseball for us, but when Katie and I first got these screeners, my episode link for this show continually ended just when Paulina was kidnapped. Like it ended in the 38th minute of this show. Oh, like it just no. ended over and over. And I was like, oh, and I had to like, <laughs> I deleted all my cookies and I did all that stuff so that I could continue to watch it. I've got quite a good like screen setup. So I was like, I, I kept going. I kept going, oh my God, I can't believe the show ends like this. This is like so bleak. Like there must be three more episodes. What the hell's going on? And then yeah. it finally started working and I actually saw it. But I was like, oh my God, this this sort of mid-episode climax of like Polina being in the wind and this happens. And then it just, and then it starts to, you know, everything starts to go down. So Sam cops her beat down because she gets, yeah. she gets physically assaulted and her money gets snatched and she knows how bad it is. Jake goes back to his apartment and he cops an absolute beating for his troubles of continuing to dig up stuff with Tazar because obviously the uh, Yakuza super fan starts to reveal that like, hey, this guy came to my place and like smoked meth and stuff and was asking questions. And like, I also think the, 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 you know, the M Misaki has asked him not to go after Jake and that yes. it would be a bad look, but yeah. I think he does it anyway. Yes. And it's like, we're not going to kill him. Like they pull out a knife and then they're like, no, we're just going to scare you. Don't fuck with us. Yes. So yeah. And, and then, then Sato again, tries to cover some stuff up for Sam with Yoshida. And it's like, she's ambitious. She's this, she's that. Keep an eye on her. Well, so she loses all her money and then she goes to get a loan and she ends up getting a loan for her club, which she will not let go of mm -hmm. from Ishida himself. And Ishida's like, Sato, you're going to be in charge of this. And eventually we're going to be partners in this club. And Sato's like, you know, I don't think it's a very good idea, but yeah, he's, so she's going, it's like the, when I saw Sam in the, trying to get the loan from the bank, I was like, no. 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 because that's how this whole story started it's like the debts and so this whole episode it's just like the debts the debts are coming due the debts are coming due and she's just digging herself into a hole with um chihari kai and now they have to work together um in a professional way which uh we think is going to be okay there's like a moment of like okay great and then 
and then bad bad thing happens. Yeah. And so that that whole thing, she's bought her freedom essentially. She that ten million yen is her freedom insurance. Yeah. And when she does that and she's like going by herself to with Akira, I'm just the whole time, it's so stressful. You're just like, no, no, and you know it's gonna end badly and it does. But then there's something even better. Katagiri in his good heart sends Miyamoto out, tries to get him done, feels like he might have the upper hand on Tozawa, goes to this great seaside abandoned warehouse and is like waiting to see everything unfold. And then there's a showdown between Katagiri yeah. and Tozawa. So finally. they take Miyamoto to some undisclosed location. I mean, is he like chopped up? <laughs> He's chopped up. He's dead. He, okay, uh, I mean, I got our, 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 our hot boy of the series. <laughs> damn it. I, oh, oh, sorry. That's my impression is that he's That's like, your impression, yeah. My impression so he is gets like, driven to an undisclosed location and he's like, yo, let me get my phone. And they're like, nope. Nope. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so he's his body parts are floating in a bay somewhere. <laughs> um, and then Tozawa confronts Katagiri at the other location and he's like, I'm not going to have two big detectives go missing on the same day because that would look sketchy, but you are not coming after me anymore. Yes. And I'm going to kill your family, your sweet family that we saw in the beginning of this episode. If you come after me, I am going to kill them in 20 minutes. Yes. And I I mean, Ken Watanabe's performance, the way he sells the devastation and the horror in that moment is incredible. Yes. It's... The... The guy who's beaming at that breakfast table in the morning with his sunshine of his family and this all this possibility of doing good. He all of his age and all of his years, all that weariness that he can just conjure. There's no one there's almost no one better. He's so goddamn good. It is outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And um so yeah. we see we see that he's dejected, he's gone. Miyamoto, fish bait in a Tokyo Bay. Done. <laughs> finished <laughs> sato and sam kind of looks like it's on the up as far as like hey ishida said that i gotta kind of oversee all of this i trust that you're gonna do well they leave each other and then sato's own uh feeling of invincibility comes back to bite him in the ass where the guy who is part of the ishida clan who he beat up in a previous episode sneaks up behind him and knifes him in the guts and we're left with he, him like prison yard shanks him shanks him in the guts yeah leaves him bleeding out on the street on the street and, yeah and i don't do you feel like he's gone in that moment i think he might be i don't know i don't know i mean it's a really bad bad stabbing yes it's stabbed um, in the guts it's this yeah it sucks and i don't know i it would be it would be really hard for me to imagine that he totally is, but I also, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. It's like, I can't lose them both. Yeah. <laughs> I can't lose Miyamoto not, and Not Miyamoto Sato. and Sato. The two, the two most attractive men in the show. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but I, I, I would be, it would be a miracle if he comes back from that. Um, yeah. It's going to be, and then it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But then, yeah, then we move from that to, Mizaki kind of, you know, leaving uh, Tazawa to fly on a plane, <laughs> sculling whiskey, as you said, with his awful liver disease. It's fine. It's totally all his good. liver disease. That's literally like making his face fucked up. <laughs> like that's how bad it is. He's but like, look, oh, I'll have whiskey. Can we say this is something we can't say for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker's make makeup application? But whoever's making him up to cover up the disgusting liver failure sores that are on his face, they're doing a great job. Yeah. Like, That's him, just with his little <laughs> pot of makeup. Just a <laughs> like of, I don't know about that. I don't know. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Um, and you know, then again, Ansel Elgort in the shower, it, crawling up in the fetal position, Ace Ventura style. Um, being, Listen, if you're sitting in the shower, things have gone horribly awry <laughs> for whatever reason. If you start any part of your week and you're sitting in the shower. And it's not from menstrual cramping, but it's just because you can't deal with standing anymore in the shower, then I'm really sorry to say this. Yeah, we're, we're sorry for you. But I also want to say we can't forget to mention that Jake calls home. Yeah. And he talks to his dad 
I think, you know, they have a tough relationship, but his dad says, I will buy you a ticket. If you, if you wake up tomorrow and you want to leave, like I will buy you a ticket. I think it's really important to like, at least know that Jake is so privileged and he has an escape route anytime he needs. And so all these other people, they are desperate. They are back against the wall. They can do nothing. Sam can do nothing. Sato can do nothing. They cannot do anything. Jake can leave, but Jake continually stays. And so I just think that's like an important distinction to make with these characters. Um, and, and and we find out why Jake decides to stay, like after his like sad sitting shower. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm going to go to work. And he gets this videotape, which we mentioned previously, which is a horrifying videotape, surveillance tape of... Um, Paulina on the boat, she gets um, assaulted uh, by a client that I think she thinks they're just going to drink and have fun. But I'm not really sure what Paulina's frame of mind is in this place, but she's she rebuffs him. He goes and gets a Yakuza Tozawa dude who comes in, roughs her up, knocks her around and they kill her. Yeah, it's a, um, I think accidentally, you know, they 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 push her down and she hits her head or something. And and Jake is watching this like the ring video. Yeah. It's awful. And, and that's why he has to stay or that's why he decides to stay, because he wants to avenge her death and he wants to figure this out. And um, and I think one thing you pointed out there is this moment or that moment with his dad on the phone actually makes. Makes the character for me in this series and why he ultimately is going to be so important is because, you know, it's all this kind of like kind of blustery, like I can make it in this city. I can be the first white journalist. I can do this. I can bring order to this. I can, I can discover. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's his own, it's, it's not the show's intent. I think it shows the, the fallacy of this idea of like, you're going to have this white savior complex where you're going to just go in and do it all. And you know, you're the savior of these people like they need it. But what is cool here is that he's been bashed continually in this series that he's not going to be the savior, but what he can be is a journalist. Right. And he can dig up these leads and he can find this information and he can create relationships where people are comfortable enough to share and, and to give him this stuff. And, you know, this blank envelope that comes with nothing that says, um, except Adelson on, on the outside of his door, Adelstein on the outside of his door. And he watches this video and it's like, no, actually this is the, you know, just like that guy who sets himself ablaze that I will just never forget that is etched permanently into my memory is that there are people here who are being exploited and debt and their debts to not only society, but debts to every, you know, every part of the stratification of this Japanese society, where you've got like one judicial system, which exists, which is the Japanese judicial system, one, which is the Yakuza judicial system, their own order and hierarchy that happens. And one of this outsider American, who's kind of got this like free speech and this and that. And it's like, it's the collision again. It's maybe the most like, you know, last of the Mohicans in that regard of like three judicial systems all working. And Jake is just a representation of one. And Sam is a representation of one from America. And then the other two that operate in Japan itself. But it's like that, that moment where he sees it and he decides that he's going to do something that leads us to a, like a final, a final, you know, compulsion to go and visit Katagiri and say, look, I've got something that I've got something more. I've got something so crazy about the Tazawa operation that it feels like we actually finally have some leverage where these people who are so happy with him just existing and coexisting in our world might not is comfortable but is to is katagiri gonna go after tozawa that was my one lingering question like what's unspoken there is that he's in this highly paranoid state he's at home he's got a gun he's really worried like i feel like he's like maybe gonna flinch i don't think you're wrong I, yeah. I, I think what's great about the ending of this show is that he might flinch. I think the only thing that we've got comfort in is that from that framing device in the very first episode, whether that concludes in the second True. series, yeah. it's like, it feels like, and whether that part of it's already been oh, filmed yeah. with Michael Mann, it's just like, you feel like if he is going to flinch, 
they've just got to they've basically got to do what they tried to do at the beginning which is slowly eat away at the edges yeah and work from the very outer layer and then slowly like a spiral ascend this kind of spiral to get to Dazawa. and you can't you can't cheat any of those steps. You have to go, Yeah. this is one thing. Let's get the boat operators. Let's get that guy. Let's get this murder. Let's get, let's uncover this story about his, his physical weakness, which maybe will cause discord in the, the entire. Yes. It'll it's weaken like, his power. And it's, it feels like w- what has happened is it's taken eight episodes and nearly eight hours of the show working to this, which is like, you can't cheat this. There's no cheat. It's like literally non-stop work writing story after story getting evidence after evidence emboldening new people to come forward to save themselves like they tried to do with Miyamoto but again Katagiri had the same problem which is like I've got Miyamoto on the line and instead of like going to the outer layers and trying to you know operate Mm. or taking him out of the equation and then just eating 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 it's like he and Jake have both Jake in a much more macro, like crazy full on way and Katagiri in what he feels is a more controlled way have both tried to skip to the boss level and Tozawa just keeps like going, nah, you're not ready. Like you can't take me down. You can't touch me. And so I feel like from that, from the comfort of that private jet, like the downfall is coming. And I feel like this is him at his height, the height of his powers, the height of his control, the height of his everything. And I feel like if the second series is going to do anything, it's, it's, it's going to just really take Jake through like writing every story, being emboldened to take that, the paper being emboldened to print things, um, and and the attention of the story starting to build its momentum so that it can actually start to weave and wind all the way to where we think it's going to go, which is like ultimately writing stories um, against Tazawa that's going to cause him to do something stupid, which he rarely does. Like the control of him, like I can't have two detectives go missing in one day. Like that's right. so bold and, you know, off the wall. It's it's great. But uh, yeah, I, I, I also, again, can we have like 10 movies of Ken Watanabe just being like unhinged and paranoid with a gun? Like, <laughs> like unhinged and paranoid with a gun. Ken Watanabe is the coolest character that's ever existed. I know. I also was going to say, I love the way they, they visualize all of this in the show. Like um, at the end of the episode, Tozawa's in a plane. He is above everyone. Like yes. he's, he's at the height of his powers, like you said. And then also when we see Sato go down, there's like some really great shooting there in that um, scene with it him. It does that and, great um, overhead shot of uh, yeah, it's, so it's like, raising up. He's being pushed to the ground. and an, He's on the ground and the camera's going up. And like there's a great like shot where of the two of them where he walks away from her and she's in the background and he got, walks to the car. But yeah, that he's, the camera's going up. He's on the ground. It's like he's going down. Tazawa's going up. There's all this you know, great visual stuff going on. I thought, I thought Poole did a great job um, directing this. And I, you also love that, like, um, there's that whole thing, the light, the headlight beams that hit Tozawa when he and Katagiri are in that, um, in that warehouse together. And it's like, headlight beams have a few things. Like if you've got a sensor light at home or whatever, sometimes like a spotlight coming on you, you're in the spotlight and it can mean a number of things. It means you're kind of caught, it means you can flash. But in that moment, I think that Paul does a great job of like, Tazawa is not caught. He, it's his show. Like the, the lights become, the lights show that the spotlight, the guy who's actually pulling the strings, he's like in complete control. Like even Katagiri holding a gun to him, he's like, oh, I'm unarmed. Yeah. I'm not worried about you. What are you going to do? You're going to try and shoot me? Like you're going to be dead in 10 seconds and so is your whole family. And like, and that, I just think it does it so well. So yeah, I, um, as we conclude, you know, kind of talking about this show and the it's been a great fun time to have a nice little digression on on this kind of modern man um mm-hmm. show that Miami Nice now is to go and talk about Tokyo Vice but I really like this show like it was totally worth my time anyone who wants like a and I love eight episodes I love eight yeah. episodes give me eight episodes <laughs> of anything you know like it's like it's an actual TV show that feels manageable um and so yeah, yeah. I really liked watching this eight and I'm I'm excited and hopefully just the ethos and the production and the, I guess the bravery to have like different directorial styles, like all meld together. I just hope that that's what is in store for us in the next season. Absolutely. I mean, this, the show has been really fun to watch and it is kind of like a tonic in a way to, to see a big meaty, juicy crime story unfold, um, a newspaper story unfold and to be like this rooted in a place and with such great characters and to be so dang bleak 
um, is is uh, really refreshing in this media landscape. So I appreciate uh, them doing this kind of project. So I, I've had a blast talking about this show and I can't wait to see what's next. Now, if you're listening out there, HBO Max, Katie and I love international travel. If you want us to go to Tokyo for you to cover the show, we'd be happy to do so. <laughs> Mail at oneheatminute.com is where you can find yes. us. One Blake Minute on Twitter, <laughs> Katie Walsh STX. You can find us. I mean, I'm in. Like, the, let's just say it's throw down the units. I'm in. I'm in if they want to. Uh, if uh, if they want to do it, Katie. Set visits. Yeah. <laughs> do, a, do a set visit. Fly in a private jet with Tezawa, drink whiskey. I mean, I'm totally. We're down. We'll we'll cosplay. It'll be great. <laughs> but we've got so much more modern man. Um, stuff coming to you guys again thank you so much to everyone who came to our black hat hacker cut screening um join the patreon which will get you onto our discord the greatest thing about both of our live show experiences so far has been the chat because we actually have the the screening happen and then everyone who's involved gets to just chat along we've both been insane so if you want to live the chat um which is literally as uh, i've gotten a couple of notifications in the middle of the show it's like if, if you want to live the chat and be around great people who love this show and this world that we're creating and curating um please be a part of our community it's so it's the funnest thing ever and um you know we've just got such amazing people creating gifts all, all these sorts of things it's just counter intel it. drops oh counter intel drops of the <laughs> highest order scripts dropping things like that and look if you join um, you know, you never know one day in the discord, there might just be a link that'll drop of the Miami nice cut for anyone who's in the discord, you know, you so just never know. You just never know. Like this is the game that we play. Um, so you're going to like take a little envelope <laughs> and put a VHS tape in it. It'll just you're going to say all the name of our patrons and our discord members. It'll just have a, like a blank thing on there. And, and, that, and that's what it'll be, but no, yeah. get, get on that. Katie. This has been super fun. I really this can't has wait been to super fun. I can't wait to get back to Miami, but I also can't wait. For us, um, one thing we are going to do on Miami Nice as we keep progressing throughout the year is we are we are most definitely wanting to do what, maybe one more Miami Nice cut screening, a live screening mm -hmm. that will happen before the year is out. And we're trying now to start thinking about it. And so I would love um, you guys to think about it too, is getting in a position where um, we can maybe like do a poll or something like that about what our next man screening would be. Because- Absolutely, it, yeah. It is- obviously like 30 years anniversary of Mohicans. It is collateral. Like, I mean, we've been talking to people like Justin Lieberman about things like collateral. Um, so we're, you know, excited to maybe jump into that landscape. So, um, you know, we've got, and I've got Vashi Nidamansky, our great friend and editor, um, scouring the internet for the 35 millimeter scan of the keep, which might be a super oh. fun one. So, we would love to hear from you. So if you if you loved our live screens, you're a part of it, or you want to be a part of another one that's coming up and you want to watch a man film along with us, um, please reach out um, because we would love to do that. And, and so, there are a lot of ways to reach out. You can tweet at us, but jump on the Discord. That's yes. probably, I mean, we're me and Blake are on it all day. Yeah, like. all day. All day. Um, so. and Andreas, Andreas made a, a gif of Al Pacino from Heat, like running down the stairs from Justine, like running out to go get Neil McCauley. And I literally just like put an asterisk underneath it. I'm like, this is me running away from my actual work back into this <laughs> Discord chat. Like that's right. all, all day is me doing that. So if you, if you are a part of that and look, the Patreon has Roman rant. Katie's been on episode. That's where we just kind of dive off into other films that we love and just like topics that we want to cover right this week. We've got a double episode or the second part of a double episode with Roxana Haddadi. We've done Michael Clayton, the place beyond the pines. I dropped a special episode for our patrons only, which is a Donal Logue telling stories about being cut I out mean, of line. Um, come on guys. That's prime content. Right. And also a bonus. I'm going to tell people now, cause you're going to be listening on a Sunday probably on Monday, uh, you know, a couple of days after you listen to this, if you listen to it as it drops. I have another great interview um, from Jason Blum, uh, who was on the PR rounds for uh, for everything that was happening Black. with the Black Phone. And I got mm -hmm. to just talk to him about, as Jordan Harper calls, tight 90s. Why Blumhouse films <gasps> are so, you know, manageable, why he shoots them. And he also shares his favorite indelible, iconic horror images from everything that oh Blumhouse my god though so, a great little chat really i love happy. tight 90s you know i love a tight 90. I'm you know what he said he goes, he goes blake i'm so glad you said that at blumhouse 
we don't even want to shoot a script unless it's less than 102 pages. He goes, I will oh. give them 102. I'm like, slow clap. Music to my ears. <laughs> I'm like, how long is this? 98 minutes? Fuck yeah, baby. Like, I'm so happy. So, no, it was a good little chat. They're on the victory lap about that movie. The movie's terrific. There's a great chat mm -hmm. with Scott Derrickson that's also popped up in the feed as well. So lots of cool new stuff coming up. And Katie and I will obviously be going back to Miami. We've got great guests coming up, all modern man stuff. We're going to try and get Ryan Swen on, who did a, a black hat cut. And we're going to talk to him. We still are overdue on a Travis Woods on a Miami Nice. Uh, yeah, I think Travis was like one of the first people we wanted to have on. And it's been like two years. <laughs> we'll make that happen. Um, and, and then our very special thief, one thief minute episode um which is now growing uh, a you know exponentially with guests jim belushi was a star of the movie is in it scott derrickson talks about thief well, he'll be in there walter chaw will be in there bill gabiri will be in there best-selling new york times bestseller sean cosby is in there um uh, william boyle is in there jordan harper jen johans travis woods oh Jedediah. my god this crew is good yeah, it's good so we've got an amazing lineup of people that are going to all be there to celebrate the life of james khan Amazing. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.